Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Right Stuff! <laughs> you know, the way that we introduce every episode of this super special mini-series, where I, Mike Burge, am joined by Bernadette Gorman-White. Hey, guys! And we talk about Edgar Wright's filmography. And we've pretty much come to the end of the filmography here, but uh, there's still some other stuff to kind of pick around that we are attempting to mess about with, but uh, that is neither here nor there for right now. We're here to talk about Edgar Wright's latest flick, his last feature, Baby Driver. Came out in 2017, it's rated R, it's an hour and 53 minutes long. (laughs) Uh, It stars uh, John Bernthal, Ansel Elgore, John Hamm, Elsa Gonzalez, and uh, Kevin Spacey's in there too. And some other guy. And some other guy. Don't forget about Jamie Foxx. He's there, too. Yeah, um, and uh, Lily James. And Lily James. Yes, of course. I was reading it in the order of um, the uh, on the IMDb, and I think that it's uh, it's in a really weird... Order. Yeah, it's like the barista... Oh, it must be an order of appearance, I see. So I Because I was like, man, they, Jamie Foxx is nowhere to be seen on this. There <laughs> Where he is. Where is he? There he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... This uh, series is, uh, as you may know if you've been listening, we we discuss Edgar Wright's talents as a director and as a writer uh, going through his entire filmography. We have done, you know, uh, we did the Cornetto trilogy. We've, uh, we did a quick episode on uh, Ant-Man and the, what he was doing in that, the involvement in that, him falling out in that, the, fin- the final product. We also covered Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is, I think is the movie that has maybe the most similarities to the movie that we're going to be talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, in my take, I would um, agree with you there. Yeah. And so this is uh this is baby driver. Now, of course, uh, as we've stated before, in past episodes, we kind of dive right in, so there will be spoilers about Baby Driver pretty much right off the bat. Uh, if you didn't know Jamie Foxx was in this movie, we just spoiled that already for you. Surprise! So, you know, anything can be a spoiler. We don't know how much you know about the movie, but we're going to assume that you've seen the movie, so nothing can be spoiled. Sure, um, and if you haven't seen the movie, then cool. It's very neat that you're listening to us first, and then you can go watch the movie after you're done listening to this. I mean, yeah, if you were just looking for, like, maybe the first five minutes, nothing will be spoiled, and they'll just tell me if it's a good or not. It's a good. It's good. It's a good movie. Go watch it. Or you can continue listening if you don't care about spoilers, and you'll still have fun watching the movie. Yes. So, Baby Driver. Yes. Bernadette. Uh Uh-huh. What do you think about Baby Driver? <laughs> what, do you th- what do you think about the film, Baby Driver? Um, I'm really the glad picture. that we're doing this podcast uh, in this series because I am a huge uh, fan of like British comedy and humor and a big part of like late high school, early college for me was getting into the Mighty Boosh. And I was kind of familiar with Edgar Wright and like the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost group over here. And then I was kind of familiar with, like, the Noel Fielding, Julian Barrett group over here with the Mighty Boosh. And Edgar Wright directed this music video uh, for the song called Blue Song by Mint Royale. And it's uh, Noel Fielding, Julian Barrett, Nick Frost, and I'm blanking on his name, the gentleman who plays Tires from Spaced. Mm -hmm. And anyway, that music video um, was essentially the beginning of Baby Driver. 
It's a heist scene. It's like a bank job. And Noel Fielding plays like the baby driver character. And he's like dancing and singing in his car. He times the robbery to the length of this song. And it's great. And I was obsessed with that music video. And so I think when I saw Baby Driver for the first time when it came out, I was one of those uh, semi-negative people who I was just like, oh, I really wish this would have been like a British cast. I really wish that this was more of an extension of that music video rather than like this new American thing. And I didn't dislike Baby Driver the first time I saw it, but I wasn't letting it just be what it is. I was attaching all the things that I wished it was to the movie, which is never a fun way to watch a movie. And I'm usually really good about not approaching films in that sense of mind. But um, yeah, I just wasn't like super hot on it. I I liked it, but it just didn't feel like Edgar Wright to me. I don't know. It was weird. I was in a weird place, I guess, when I saw that movie. But rewatching it, I really enjoyed it. Like, it's so much fun. So I'm glad I got to revisit it with just a uh, a renewed sense of appreciation for watching this movie. But yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, uh I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say it. You know what? I'm going to say it. Baby Driver is my favorite Edgar Wright movie. And I think Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz are masterpieces of comedy and genre work. Scott Pilgrim versus the world is just so much fun to watch every single time. I could watch that movie over and over and over again. This is, this is the thing that becomes hard when you have a director who makes great movies every single time he goes to bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, like when I say the world's end is my least favorite Edgar Wright movie, that movie is still awesome and amazing. And I love watching it, but it, it, then it kind of becomes down. It comes down to it becomes like a taste thing, where mm-hmm. it's just like you know, I, I think I think also that Baby Driver is his most, um, eh, maybe Scott Pilgrim is his most like expertly crafted, like the one that I always say like Scott Pilgrim is the movie that I think only Edgar Wright could have directed that. I think that and and had it still be as successful and work out all as well as it did. And I think one of the things is, is that like you have the Cornetto trilogy and he, and Edgar Rear is working in this one gear that he's doing everything, but he very specifically keeps all of that stuff to the Cornetto trilogy, because a lot of the stuff that makes those movies work so well and all those Edgar Wright isms, um, a lot of those are not translated over to Scott Pilgrim. Some of the attitude and the cutting and the energy is there, but it's completely cranked up, you know, where, right. you know, it, it it's you we're in a different reality in Scott Pilgrim. And in the Cornetto trilogy, we are kind of in our reality, but things are are slightly more are, are like heightened just with situations and genre work. You have you have uh, there's a lot of self-awareness in it that you're watching a movie and Scott Pilgrim is very much like wears it on its sleeve. Like you are watching a movie. This is a a spectacle. This is like being at a rock show. And I think Baby Driver is the perfect meeting ground of that. Of and I think that his next movie will also continue this and maybe even be a little bit more rooted in reality and having a heightened sense of entertainment while not losing 
like the realism of the situation. And I think Baby Driver is the perf is like this like next stage in that where he's like, okay, I'm gonna do a heist bank robbery getaway driver movie, which has been done before many, many times. It's a classic trope. It's been around for 50 years. If you say that this is the same movie as Drive, I'm going to say it. Shut up. Stop talking about movies. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Drive is also like 10 other movies that came out 40 years before that. It's a getaway driver movie. There's loads of them. Yeah, and they're going to have similarities. Yeah, I guess in Drive, what he also listens to music. What are you talking about? Stop it. (laughs) You're like, stop. Do you drive in a car? When you drive in a car, do you listen to music? There you go. Everyone does it. (laughs) Wait, there's music in movies? Really? What? Wow. Wait. He has a jacket? Whoa, I have one of those. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that the main character has an older figure that could be a mentor or could be a villain? Wait a minute. Wow. That's the same movie. You mean he's involved in crime, so sometimes murders happen? Wow. He's a good, he, he's trying to be a good guy, but he's involved in crime. And so he's, he's, he's trying to maybe figure out which way he wants to go. Wait, wait, there's a woman. Wow. There's a love, there's a love interest. And he's conflicted about said love interest. And they both have children. Jeez. And, and both of them, their, 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 their husbands are in jail. (laughs) And, and he has a, he has a guy that, wait, wait, what? It's not the same movie. It is not um, the same film. And Getaway Driver movies are like awesome. They kick ass. Bullet. Uh, there's loads of like really, really cool stuff. I would even say like, you know, you get to something like The French Connection, which is not a Getaway Driver movie, but there's a lot of those like kind of aspects in it, like the car chases and the the kind of like, you know, going into this seedy underworld. I recently watched, I was talking to you the other day about watching um, Chris McQuarrie's first movie, uh... Uh, the Way of the Gun mm-hmm. with a uh, Ryan Philippe. I think it's Ryan Philippe, but I could be wrong. Is it Philippe? Philippe? Felipe? I think it's Philippe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Benicio del Smith. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Sure. Uh, and uh, James Kahn is in it, and James Kahn is like a huge, you know, uh, genre actor of like you know seventies and eighties crime movies, Thief, Godfather, all this great stuff. He's in it too, playing like an aging guy. And it's just like you you see that it's like there are all these cool tropes that are inherently involved in this like very specific crime genre, robbery, getaway car, chase things. There's all these cool tropes and all of those are present in Baby Driver and they're updated to, you know, 2016 Atlanta you know, with all of this different like technology and all of these different kind of attitudes and mannerisms for current culture, all of that stuff alone is very interesting and a cool take on a classic genre. And then you add in Edgar Wright's energy and amazing taste in music and his ability to be able to direct with editing in mind. And you get something that is so special and amazing. Every time I watch it, I am blown, I I like peel away another layer and see another layer that's under it. I mean, the first time I watched this movie, I enjoyed it as the movie it was, as the new Edgar Wright movie. The second time I watched it, I started noticing the sound design way more because I was focusing in on more of the different things that were happening, you know, the mise en scene. Uh Um, 
And then like every time I've watched it, I just start noticing more and more like little tiny moment. Like this time I specifically was kind of really noticing like the coloring of the movie and just like how things stand for other things and moving around and just really kind of looking at the framing of everything. It's a very, very good movie. It's a simple movie and it's a, it's an exciting movie and I, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm standing it. It's, it's my favorite Edgar Wright movie right now, right now, right now could change. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, even like small things that I had just let like go right over my head the first time watching it. Um, we're just incredible this time. There's that one scene where baby is talking to Deborah and they're hanging out at the laundromat. And there's that backdrop of all of the washers or or dryers cleaning the clothes. And there's like one sweatshirt in like each one. And they're red, yellow, and blue. Mm-hmm. And they're all timed perfectly. It's insane. Like, what? How did they do that? It's, it's incredible. It's like, I'm like, yes, the music is timed with everything. I get that. I understand that. And it's the more you watch it, the more you realize, like, gee, the, the people's footsteps in the background are timed to the beat of the music that we're listening to. And it's in some spots, it's obviously it's more apparent than others. Mm-hmm. But it's the more, like I said, like, the more you watch it, the more you start picking apart. You're just like, wait, the way he's chewing gum in that one shot for about five seconds is perfectly hitting the change in tempo in this song. And you're just like, this is, it's so much extra, but I love it. Like it's what really ties it together as like, it's an extremely heightened diegetic musical idea, but it's grounded so well in these genre tropes that you, you're just like, you're always, when Edgar Wright usually points out like, hey, remember you're watching a movie, isn't this fun? It usually kind of takes you out of it in a good way where you're like, yes, I am having fun. Mm-hmm. And something about all these genre tropes and this musical editing keeps you kind of hooked in there while also reminding you that, hey, you're supposed to be having fun right now. Right. Yeah, I don't know how this movie didn't like get through my brain the first time I watched it. I just don't know. I can't it's speak to that day. It's a completely different movie than most of Edgar Wright's stuff, you know? It's it's very different from all of his movies. And if you're going in and you want, you know, if you're like, I like Coca-Cola. And every time Coca-Cola comes out with a new flavor, I'm like, Cherry Coke, absolutely. I love it. Vanilla Coke, absolutely. I love it. And then they come out with like Orange Coke and you're like, of course, it's going to be great. But it tastes completely different than anything else because the very root um flavor has been changed are you digging this metaphor so far are you i can see your face and you're you're slowly like you're like all right but you know what i mean like it's 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 probably the most aggressive change movie to movie that he's made because you know he's got his thing in the cornetto trilogy scott pilgrim is a massive leap in one direction and then baby driver is a massive leap like you know in the opposite direction of kind of like bringing down the over the top like um, almost like a, like a like a video game exploitation movie, and then just kind of bringing it back down to where it's like, okay, now I'm gonna do a basic genre movie, like a nice '70s crime movie, but I'm gonna add my flavor of fast editing and uh, musical taste and my my slight sting of comedy to it, 
and and just go with it. Because the jokes in this thing are just like are so much more subtle than most of Edgar Wright's other movies. They're very they're very clever. Not that his other jokes are not clever, but it's it's very real, and it's 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 uh, that's one of the things I'm most excited to talk about is the characters in this movie are fucking great. Every single character in this movie is amazing. Yeah, I think something that uh, was kind of like a block for me the first time I watched it too was that because I was so familiar with that Mint Royale music video, where it was very much like, I'm watching it because I love these actors. Those actors aren't necessarily playing characters in that music video for me. Personally, when I'm watching it, it's like, oh no, that's Noel Fielding. Like, I'm not watching it because Noel Fielding is playing a character called, you know, X, Y, and Z. So watching the movie for the first time for Baby Driver, I think I was too caught up in the fact that I'm like, I'm watching John Hamm. Like, I'm watching John Barenthal. Like, they didn't really, like, fall into the characters as much that first time that I watched it. But I kind of actually really like that, even in the second viewing, because I almost feel like Baby Driver, if you take out, like, all of the car scenes and the car chases, there are only, like, really three real set pieces in this entire film. You have, like, their warehouse where they meet up, you have the diner, And you have Baby's apartment, where he lives with his foster dad. Mm -hmm. And those are really, like, the three spaces that you inhabit most of the film. I mean, you do have, like, the occasional, like, post office, laundromat, whatever. But it's not, like, a really heavy walk-and-talk film. It's like, no, you're kind of, like, stuck in these spaces. So it felt kind of like a play to me watching it this time around. I'm like, oh, no, this is kind of like a play. And when you go to see a play, you go because of the names. Like, you go because, you know, an actor you love is in this play. Uh And you kind of are aware that you're watching an actor play a character as you're watching it, as you're sitting in the playhouse. But that just adds to the enjoyment of the entire thing. Yeah. So to me, this time I was like, oh, no, I really love that John Barenthal is like in it for a hot second at the beginning of the movie. It's and then you ge- never see him again. Genius. It's genius. It's like it's a good time. Genius. Yeah. And my I have a couple like I have a couple hot takes on this uh, on this movie theories, fun stuff. Um, you know, uh, Edgar Wright in like a interview at some point i think it was like one maybe two said he has an entire sequel for baby driver like already kind of in his head and going off of that i'm just like oh so that's why john bernthal just disappears he's going to be a character he would be a character in the next one and there's also a bunch of weird things going on with lily james's character deborah where i believe that deborah my take on it and we can talk about it more as we talk about the plot of the movie. My take on it is that Deborah has just gotten out of another movie. Interesting. Where, and she is kind of like, you're like, well, what happens to this type of character after one of these crime movies? I think that she's kind of slightly on the run from something, trying to get out because she just keeps talking about wanting to get away. She just started a new job. You don't really hear anything about her personal life. And it seems like, you know, she just started a new job at a diner and on her first day, she's talking to someone, she's talking to a random customer about like, yeah, I just kind of want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, you know, she and- she does say that she is 
just finished like taking care of a parent i think yes but yes Mm -hmm. yeah and then she um there's a there's a moment at a lawn in in the laundromat when she talks about like you ever want to just where she starts talking about like you ever want to just get away and like just run away and get and leave everything behind and then you hear the door open and she is spooked and turns around and looks at it very quickly and then looks back and it's a very quick moment but it seems like she's very nervous about something. And at this point in the movie, she shouldn't be nervous. And I also think that it's very interesting that she is able to clock exactly what is going on when Baby and the other guys go into the diner. She's able to see it, check it very quickly. She's able to look at these people and how they're dressed and how they're acting and go, oh, I think I know what's going on here. So I think she knows a little bit more about this world then I think she might be letting on. And because they don't really have a lot of time together to really talk about things where that would be an appropriate time to bring it up, uh, she just doesn't. And I think that also leads into that might be something that happens in a sequel. And This is all theorizing. And it's, sure. it's like fun stuff because there's all these little tiny things that are put in there that kind of build on this kind of, you know, Lily James's character could just be like a very throwaway damsel in distress type of character. But I think that they give her shades of depth and stuff like that where she still is very much a uh i don't want to say trophy in a negative sense but it really is like it's what baby wants she is representative of him being able to get out and live a normal life and act like a normal person in front of people not have to pretend to be this person this character that he's designed to be able to operate in this world that he doesn't belong in she is like this innocence and i think speckling her character with this a couple things that could lead you to go is is she on the level is this like is this real or it it makes it very interesting and i think that that the entire movie and this was like maybe not this time i watched it but a couple times ago i've watched this movie a lot i really like it it's a fun time uh i like how every i like the use of characters in this movie uh, who are people who are pretending to be something that they're not. Every single character in this movie is pretending to be or putting on a show uh, to try and be this version of themselves that they think that they need to be to be able to operate. From Bats to Doc, um, to every, every single person is putting something on. And at one point, all of those things start to be unveiled and you start to see who they really are underneath. Which is, um, which is kind of uh, like proven by the fact that we learn everybody's real name at one point. You know, ev- like Buddy and Bats and Doc, these are not their names, but we learn everybody's real name eventually through just like a random line of dialogue. Like we learn Buddy's name is Jason and we learn that Bats' name is Leon. And at the very end, we learn Baby's name is Miles. Mm-hmm. And I think that at the root of it, that's what this movie is really about thematically is that we are everyone is trying to be the version of themselves that they think that they need to be to be able to get by in the world that they're in but at the end of the day you can be the most happy by just by just accepting who you are and being yourself because no matter what happens that's always going to come out eventually anyway and that's kind of like you know, the rage thing and Buddy and the the Bats, like, not being able to control his temper is what is eventually his undoing. And same with Doc as well. Like, as soon as these people lighten up, um, they're they're off. And yeah. 
Ma- and babies is the exact opposite where it's like as soon as he i mean kind of the same too like as soon as he lightens up and he's like i need to take responsibility for what i've done he goes to prison for 25 years you know it's it's a very interesting movie that's like just very cool and has a lot of awesome music and car chases but is also about something that i think is fundamentally interesting to ponder yeah yeah i could totally see deborah having some type of background where she would have been involved with something a little more nefarious. Because certainly when you're watching it, you're like, why is this perfectly lovely person going to like be an accessory to murder like repetitively in the end of this film when she only met this guy like a couple times and she's only hung out with him for a little bit. Like he's clearly a key to something that she probably needs in some regards. Because, yeah, to me, when you watch it, you're just like, I mean, he's cute, but he's not that cute. <laughs> True. Yeah. Like, this seems like a lot for, like, a second date. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. like, no, I think I'm going to peace out now, buddy. But she's, like, in it. She, like, mm-hmm. wants to see it through to something. And mm-hmm. then she writes him for the five years that he's in prison and is there for him when he gets out. It's just, yeah. Well, maybe I mean, if he gets out. If he gets yeah. out. I'm also firmly of the camp that that is not real. Oh, because, yeah, because of the black and white. Because of the black and white from before. um, I also believe that Baby is uh, completely deaf at the end uh, from the gunshots. I mean, it could go either way, but yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. And he keeps it open to stuff like that where it's like, you know, and I think that they, they plant things throughout that it would make sense that if he was completely deaf... How could we keep, like, the attitude of this movie going? And they do, like, the feeling, the speakers and stuff like that. He can obviously hear that way. He already knows how to read lips and sign and all of those things. So, um, at the very end, like, you know, the police officer has to, like, hit him on the shoulder to give him the le- to give him the turn for the letter. And then when Baby looks at him, that's when he says, you got a letter. Because he can read his lips. And yeah. no one ever talks to Baby. Um... And then, of course, you know, there's the rainbow at the end, which is indicative of what the bank teller said to him with the Dolly Parton song. Um, And I think that it is a much sadder ending. Yeah. Um, With that read. With that read. I think that it's still hopeful. I think the idea is supposed to be it doesn't matter if he got out and met her or if he if he's still in there. It's the fact that she is waiting for him, no matter how long it'll take. And I think that's supposed to be the most important thing, is that he made the right decisions. He's a good guy, so he deserves to be happy. He can't be happy right now, but maybe one day he can be if he keeps going down this road. Sure, yeah. And I mean, too, just the fact that one of his first attractors to her was her voice just knowing that he had heard her voice and because he's so good with like manipulation of sound and making mixtapes and making mixed tracks. I feel like just having her voice in his head, he can make her say whatever he needs to hear Mm -hmm. because that's just how he interprets the world is through music and sound. And so she's pretty much anyone he meets is like speak and say to him, like they've said a certain amount of things. He's got it. Like, locked Mm -hmm. so yeah even in his fantasies if it is a fantasy like she he can make her say whatever Mm because he has her voice recorded 
in his brain, essentially. Yeah, and that's, you know, why he records uh, people and makes music tracks out of them. It's more than just like a fun little bit. It's it's representative of how he um, views the world and how he interacts with it and how he remembers things. And um, it, But it's also, it's also, you know, also indicative of the uh the theme of the movie of like um people manipulating themselves and their words into something else of of you know like they they talk about how um you know like we don't know burn uh john bernthal's character talks about how you know you can't be in crime without being a little criminal like, what are you doing here? There has to be something wrong with you. And then, you know, we get the great reveal of Buddy and Darling are maybe, maybe Bats is like hitting it right on the head that they're like, you know, you worked, you know, at Wall Street and then you ran away from your family with like, you know, your favorite lap dancer. And now you guys are just pretending to be this thing. Whereas Bats is always pressing, Bats is my favorite type of character who's always pressing how crazy they are. Bats <laughs> is obviously someone who has seen Reservoir Dogs in every crime movie from like the 70s and 80s and wants to be that crazy character. Yeah. Um, and I love it. I, I absolutely love the dynamic of Buddy is a good guy that likes, Ma, that likes um, Baby and genuinely connects with him. And if you forget that he turns into the big bad of this movie, he is like very much him and Darling are placed as the the mother and father surrogates to baby that he's like, oh, these are two good people that I can maybe have like this small kind of connection to more so than all these other criminals that I've been dealing with. And then that is completely flipped on its head when they're on their way to the warehouse when they start talking about killing bats. And he's like, oh... These are criminals. These right. are bad people, and I should never have even thought to trust them. We just had that great interaction with like the Queen song and everything, and they've been very supportive. But no, these are absolutely bad people. And then you have you know the scene at the diner where it's like when Buddy gets mad, you don't want to be anywhere near him because the whole movie Bats is being set up as the big bad. Sure, and then he's taken out immediately, and due to that. Darling gets offed and now Buddy becomes the main antagonist. And I love that change in John Hamm where the whole movie is about putting on a show and putting on a face of what you want to be. And when Buddy is around Baby, I get the feeling, and I'm reading very deep into this because I like these characters, but I think this is what, this is the depth that Edgar Wright is really going for is that Buddy kind of starts becoming Jason a little bit around Baby he starts becoming like himself where he's like, oh yeah, me and my brother, we used to cruise around. It was so much fun. I used to listen to Sheer Heart Attack with my brother, a person from my old life, like all the time. This reminds me of that. That's great. And so his mask of Buddy kind of like sheens away for a minute when he's around baby, but it has to be put back on because this is what they're pretending to be. And then when Darling is finally, when Darling is ultimately killed, uh, Jason completely just disappears. There is no more Jason. Now it's just what he's been pretending to be. You know, it's that it's that Kurt Vonnegut line where it's like, be careful who you pretend to be because that will eventually become who you, like that ends up being who you are. And I kind of love the idea of this kind of really good guy who likes Queen music and likes connecting with this kid that, you know, everyone else seems to be bullying. 
um, completely disappears and is eaten up by like a tragic event. And he just fully goes into rage mode machine and becomes like the Terminator uh, to baby and Lily's like Sarah Connor and is just like going after them and like seemingly can't be stopped. I, I love it. I love the, the arc of that one single singular character ultimately being a twist that that's the big bad at the end of the movie. Well, yeah, it, it kind of begs the question of why Doc did choose to work with these same team members when he has said in the past, like, I never work with the same team twice. Mm-hmm. Well, he and doesn't. He doesn't. Because they're... Well, of course it's Bats and not Griff. That's, sure. that's the rule. He sure. doesn't do the same team. He works with the same people and interchanges them, but Baby is the only constant. Right. But did you read the film then that Baby and uh, Buddy have worked multiple times in the past? Or do you think this is their second job together? I think it's their second job together. Yeah. Because on the, fir- on the so first too. one, it seems that like he's just getting to know him. Yes, I yeah. agree. Yes. So yeah, uh, the fact that Doc kind of... Uh, Pulls a fast one, but also slips up a little bit by mm. allowing these people to work together for a second time, especially when clearly Bats or, you know, even Griff, he knows that the criminals don't really take to Baby all that well. And it seems like that's kind of a theme and that Doc is kind of always in Baby's camp. And then to use, yeah, Buddy again with with Baby it's almost like, oh yeah, you messed up because now these characters are starting to get a little close to each other. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's uh, kind of showing, too, that to get really get to know a criminal is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, to be constantly around, like, a bad atmosphere. Like, sure, you can have brushes with criminal uh, people, and you can learn from that, but if you decide to get in the same, like, pool with them, like, you're all in the same soup. Like, it's just going to keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Like, when you make, like, any type of food or any type of, like, coffee or, you know, like, the longer everything steeps, the more bitter it's going to get. And so it's weird that Doc decided to make that choice to use this team Mm -hmm. again. It seems like a pretty quickly put together thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know... Bats is obviously, I think Bats is interested in working with Baby again because he's, I I think that he's intrigued by not trusting him. Okay, he wants to get Um, to know, like, what actually is going on with this kid. Yeah, I think he wants to find him out and stuff. That's why he's watching him so closely during the second job again, because he's like, something's off about this guy, I don't like him. He's kind of like the the evolved version of Griff, who's just like messing with the kid. Sure. Um, and I, th- and, uh, you know, buddy and darling, they say like, we'll be back once the nose bag runs out. Um, and so I think that it's kind of like, uh, this is also like a big score, uh, that Kevin space, that Kevin Spacey's doc is kind of like, um, you know, he's like, you have to come in because this is like going to be a lot of money. We're going to mm-hmm. keep working together because it's it's the first job that Baby is doing now that he's kind of off the off the O and everything. So I think right. that maybe he's just like trying to put together this thing where I need everybody to kind of be on the level with each other a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I, I can get that, that he kind of starts to get a little sloppy. And I think that that's kind of also representative of his his emotions and his emotional 
uh, connection with Baby at this point, having become this kind of like oddly enough, uh, you know, mentor father figure to him that even he doesn't want to admit and that Baby probably wouldn't even say is actually there for him. I don't think Baby looks at Doc as like a father figure. Mm -hmm. I think he looks at him as kind of more of a captor. But I think that uh, Doc looks, realizes at the end that he's like, I could be a little fatherly in this situation, even though that's the last thing I would want to do. <laughs> yeah. You he, know, it's, he doesn't seem happy about it. <laughs> no, it, it sucks that, you know, uh, Kevin Spacey is an actual monster man. Um, we always thought he was just a really good actor at playing these like monstrous roles. And actually he was just, you know, uh, it, the line that he has, I refuse to let it ruin the movie for me. This one, um, other movies are completely ruined just because they they skirt the issue too much. They can't, they can't like American Beauty just cannot sustain the nonsense that is what Kevin Spacey is because of just like the themes and the things and the specifics that are going on in that movie. And also to begin with, it's a pretty pretentious movie anyway. It was already dancing on a razor's edge. I really but, you know, like American Beauty, but I will probably mm -hmm. never watch it again. It's I tried to watch it again like during quarantine, and I was just like, oh. Oh, oh no, fuck this. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, I do love in the elevator his line of, uh, I was in love once. And like, that's the only reason he's doing that. I think it's a very basic, uh, seventies so cool. crime thriller trope. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's always like, yeah, like, yeah, I once had a girl. Like, I love that. And I just love the simplicity of the wording. I was in love once. And we as an audience watching this love story that's buried underneath all of these, like, crime tropes and like musical experimentation editing choices just being like i get that i get why doc would help them just because of that one line sure i get it but uh you were gonna mention the line that's hard for you to hear weren't you were you building up to a line that you didn't like in the movie that's not gonna ruin the movie for you no, 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 no. I was saying Kevin Spacey gotcha. in general is not going I I Fair. I will not allow him to ruin the movie for me. His presence. His presence, yeah. Yeah. Uh I know a few people, my siblings included, who still haven't seen Baby Driver, and they were like, Well, I don't know if I can now and I'm like, Oh no, you should. You can just watch it the one time. If it's really difficult for you, just get through it the one time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then there's you a, can there's put a good it to payoff. Bed. There's a good payoff. Uh, you know, if you want to see Kevin Spacey get his head exploded by a cop car running over his tire by John Hamm squishing his brains. There you go. You know, that That's a thing that happens at the end. So, you know, you can t take yourself out of that for just a second and then go right back in. Exactly. But yeah, I got to say, uh, I'll go on the record. We'll, s we'll settle our squash. We'll squash our beef. Um, we've oh, been yeah. arguing for a long time and mm -hmm. I'd only seen the movie once. So it was foolish for me to argue. Yeah, but yeah, yes, okay. uh, he does say, I, I've never liked taking candy from baby. Yeah. Not a baby. He does yes. just say baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's we've been still weird. Honestly, we've been arguing about arguing quotations. Yeah. We've been debating it for so long that it's become more of a bit between you and me, really. I think it's only come up a couple times on the podcast, but we still bring it up to each other a lot. Where when it finally happened this time and I was paying attention for it, be like, which one is it? I couldn't remember which side I was on. <laughs> You know, I was like, wait, did I say a baby or baby? I can't remember which one it is, so I don't know. Yeah. And I was waiting for you to bring it up. No, that's uh, because you just like to argue for fun. I, I when, do. When I argue, it's with purpose. Yes. 
Yeah, I, everything else I do with intent. I walk too fast. I eat too fast. But mm-hmm. when I'm arguing, I'm like, oh no, no, let's bathe in this right here. Let's, yeah. The 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 more we bathe in this, the the more chances there are that my my opponent will mess up. <laughs> well, I messed up from the get, but I stuck to my guns, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I... But it's a it's a fun play on like that phrase and stuff. Yes. And where you're just like, ah, yes, okay, definitely. And it also, like you said, does not. Uh, it's it's not as bad with Kevin Spacey. If he was saying taking candy from a baby, you're kind of like, I don't want that soundbite. Well, he does say uh, he's talking about when Baby was ten years old and stole the vehicle from him, mm-hmm. and he says he was blinded by the balls on the kid. Oh. And I'm just like, why? Why does he say that? Do you remember this? I remember it's bad. this very clearly. I hate Sometimes, it. I hate it. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, you know, and there's, this movie is uh, its a little bit of a cursed movie with Spacey's uh, presence and stuff. But I think that there's so much going on in it that is just like, yeah, fuck that. I don't fuck it. You know, he he's he he's such a small character relatively. Yeah. You know, I think I would say he's the smallest of the main care of the main performances, even though he's in it a lot. And I think that he's like second build or something, or maybe he gets the and, I'm not sure. I think he might get the and. I feel like Jamie Foxx might get the and. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You may be right there. But um yeah, but uh, you know, it's, this is also great too because I watched it with um, the the light of my life, uh, Diana, uh, who has seen it many times before as well. We love watching it. Baby Driver was actually one the movie that I tested out uh, when we opened the movie theater last year. Um, I like me, Diana, my sister, and my me, Diana, my sister in law, and brother in law um, watched Baby Driver while I was like kind of getting up and moving around and messing around with the speakers and leveling everything and stuff like that. Uh, watching it with Diana this time, it, it's we, we, we've started watching Mad Men. And so now she has like more of this grasp of like John Hamm's or more of this awareness of John Hamm's presence as Don Draper. So she can kind of see why the talk was, everybody was very impressed with John Hamm with this movie because it was such a, it was right as Mad Men had ended and it was such a departure from what he had been doing on that show that it was just like, oh, John Hamm is going to be around for a while. He just needs to stick to these genre movies and not do these like, you know, dramas or anything like that. He's very funny. Uh, I think he's going to make an excellent Fletch. Have you heard that he's like yes. trying to like brand that? Yes. Um, See, I've never seen Mad Men. It is on my list. I've seen the pilot episode. I think I watched it back in college and I just figured like this is too big of a endeavor for me to go on right now i have too many Smoke other gets things in your eyes um but actually i'm more familiar with john ham from like very bit tv roles mm-hmm. so i've always loved him on snl i think he's awesome there um he's in this episode of toast of london uh which is a matt berry show you can find that on netflix it's hilarious and then he was in an episode of curb your enthusiasm where he is playing an actor who is going to be playing a Larry David type character. So he starts shadowing Larry David to kind of like mm-hmm. pick up his mannerisms. And it is so funny. So to me, like, I know John Hamm is like this goofball 
weirdo because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what I'm familiar with. Uh, much more so than like a Don Draper style character. And uh, so, yeah, this just like blends right into my fantasy of what John Hamm is. Yeah, I think he's phenomenal. Like he mm-hmm. in uh, Toast of London, Stephen Toast, the Matt Berry character says he has charisma. Yes. And that's so true. He's full of charisma. He's he just great. A, he is a inherently charming actor to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's He's got... He just looks so good. Like, he can just do anything. And I guess that is kind of just like an oversimpli- oversimplification of, like, how charm works. Like, he just... He looks good and he acts good that he can kind of do anything and I'm kind of on his side or at the very least intrigued to watch him, you know, mm-hmm. and see what he's going to do. Um, you know, the, and he's given so much with this character. I think it's, I think this movie is just so sleek and so down to earth and just so very, you know, there's no fat on it. It's all prime meat. It is, but it also allows its characters to sit in things and grow. I mean, an example of that that brought that up in my head is just like thinking about like you have a scene with Baby and um, Deborah and they're sharing earbuds listening to something and it's this absolutely sweet romantic moment. And then you follow that up with a scene of Buddy and Baby doing that same thing. And there's this there's this intimacy and the sensitivity there that you would never that you would never think like you're like, oh, okay so Buddy is going to be the one that, you know, all right, maybe Bats is going to kill Buddy and that's going to piss Baby off. Or maybe Bats is going to try to do something to Baby and Buddy is going to be the one that's going to defend him. And I love that you get that quick reverse of like Buddy is the one you're worried about Bats, but actually Buddy is the one that tracks that baby is trying to sneak out and stops him. And he's just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like he's down to earth with him where he's just like, I am not a fucking idiot. Uh, Don't, don't, don't confuse my kindness and niceness and coolness with weakness. I am on you. I am on everybody here. What are you doing? I need to just worry about bats. This crazy asshole over there. I shouldn't have to worry about you. And then as soon as Bats is like, well, what about this recording device? Buddy immediately flips and he's just like, what the fuck is this? Like, you need to explain yourself right now. And he like, but he's also the first one to kind of forgive him too, where he's just like, okay, I understand. Let's go. But then again, he's also very quickly. I love the character of Buddy. I think that there's a lot of like roller coaster loops and spins and twists and turns and curveballs that Edgar Wright writes into that character and kind of throws at us. And I, I think it's an insanely interesting dynamic of Buddy to Baby and Buddy to Bats and Buddy just in general of like what his point serves in the movie at different points in the movie. You know, we he's one of the first characters we're introduced to mm-hmm. and he ends up becoming, you know, the secondary biggest character to the main character, the bad guy, the antagonist. The, the representation of what could happen to you if you stay in this criminal world too much. You'll lose the person that you love and you'll be consumed by it. And you won't even care if you win or lose. You know, it, it's, a, it's a fun... And the fact that we're talking about, you know, a musical getaway car movie directed by the guy that made Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz that has just a bunch of awesome songs from like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
but has like this kind of fun level, fun and deep level of character work is just like the thing that really blows me away about it. I think that all of Edgar Wright's movies are great, but I think that this is the one that has just such an amazingly developed and intimate uh, and sensitive script that is just like, it's like a, it's like that moment in Shaun of the Dead where it's like, you know, stop pointing that gun at my mom. It's like that, only it's spread out underneath all of the characters in this movie. Everyone gets a moment like that. Yeah, I think you can really read those moments with Buddy and Baby in two very different ways. Because the scene where Baby is sharing the music with Deborah, he's sharing it with her. And it's like a gracious giving of something that he really enjoys. Whereas in the scene with Buddy, you can either read it as like he's trying to get along with baby and trying to get to know him maybe a little bit better or it can also be read as very intrusive because he doesn't really ask baby for permission to listen Mm -hmm. with him he just comes over and puts like an earbud in his ear Mm -hmm. and so i feel like buddy is also very manipulative and is almost like grooming him he's like i think kind of gaslighting him some of the time okay like trying to maybe control him in a way that he can't control bats Uh because at least he can have some kind of authority over him um but also you could read it as yeah maybe if bats is right about buddy maybe he did leave a son at home that he'll never really get to bond with and he's treating baby like yeah his surrogate son yes and you know obviously there's connection with the brother there as well but yeah, I mean, it could be read in two very different ways, and I don't think either one is particularly wrong or right. No, yeah. I, I think that you you hit it right on the head, I was going to say that. is like the introduction of, like, I have a younger brother, uh, and the introduction of um, he may or may not have a son is kind of like, is he, like, can, we're supposed to be like, can we trust Buddy? And mm-hmm. we probably cannot. And, you know, the fact that his, that it's baby reaching out to the outside world is him giving the earbud to Deborah, And then the criminal world trying to pull him back in by that, by a criminal grabbing the earbud and also listening to it and being like, no, this works in this world too. You can be comfortable here as well. Then that's kind of the read that I take on it outside of just the character development of everything, the thematic of like, Oh, there's good people in this criminal world like that, that like music as well, that I can, I can belong here. There are people like that. And that's immediately taken away when it's just like, you want me to kill bats? I'll kill bats if you want me to, you know, <laughs> right. where he's just like, no, I don't belong here. At the end of the day, these are criminals and I, I shouldn't be here because, you know, uh, he doesn't belong in this world, or at least that's what he wants to believe. Right, right. Yeah. It's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It it does kind of fall into the... Huh, Edgar Wright doesn't always do mm-hmm. this, but it does kind of fall into that area of like, well, why, why am I not compelled to talk about the women in this film? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the Darling and the Deborah characters just aren't nearly as compelling, which I think is a little problematic. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the film. Mm-hmm. Um. I wish, like, the character of Darling would be as interesting. Because to me, yeah, I do wonder if she um, maybe was really repressed. I mean, she very well could have been, like, a very Christian girl 
And, like, this is her first time of, like, exploring her sexuality and, like, getting mm-hmm. to live in this world and uh, being adored by men. And she's kind of, like, flipping that and, like, taking agency over how beautiful she is oh, and yes. using it oh, to I, manipulate I the men in the movie. very much doing that. Yeah, totally. So I, I do wonder more about her backstory. And we kind of, like, skirted around, like, Deborah's kind of a blank page. Like, we don't really know And I think, where like, she came intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, but those like intentions can be like the problematic nature that you get, you know, like, sure. I, I mean, I will admit uh, my own biases of like, kind of like attaching myself to John Hamm's character much more, not that I see myself in him or anything like that. It's just, I find that character much more interesting because uh, it's the type of character I've seen in these movies for the past 30 years that they're messing with the tropes of. And that right. unfortunately is in is like the problematic the problem inherent in having a studio system that capitalizes these specific types of characters of genders and sexualities and races. It it becomes harder to be able to build on the tropes of the other ones because there's no foundation. You know, we've only just recently started utilizing people of color and women in these kind of roles that have primarily been taken up by straight white men before. Right. So I think that I think that she, I think that uh, as Elsa Gonzalez has like some of the best scenes in the movie, she has like really good monologues. I think that monologue that she has at the diner is just fantastic. Where she's like, "You'll when if he sees red, you'll 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 see nothing." Like there's like really good um, Edgar Wright written lines in there that she like pulls off really good. One of my favorite music cues is her singing to Nowhere to Run to Baby once he realizes that he's going to be trapped and there's no way that he's going to get out of this as they're on their way to the warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's it's just kind of, uh, unfortunately, the two main, like, the, the two female characters in it, one gets killed uh, to create the antagonist, which is a problem, but also this is how stories work. It's true. People die. Someone has you know. to die. It could have been, it could have been like, you know, the brother of him or his partner, but at least they made the character female in the first place. Not to say at least like, here, you got that, so be happy. But it's more like, you know, the, the action of her being killed and and like, you know, the kind of fridging argument, uh, I think is a little bit more nuanced than that. I think, I think the entire point of it is that he has nothing left, so he's willing to just as long as Darling is there, he's never going to go fully off the chain. Right. And he needs to be off the chain to become the Terminator that we need to be scared of at the end that, you know, is like, no, we can't just run away now. We have to stop him because he's right. never going to he's never going to stop trying to get us. And then very much the damsel in distress kind of mentality of um, Deborah is just kind of inherent in this movie where you're going, which I'm not okaying at all. Um, and I think that they could have chosen to flesh the character out a little bit more, but I do believe that it is the intention to try and keep her, um, her past in a little bit of mystery so that she really can just be this beacon of innocence and like representative of the life that baby thinks that he thinks he wants, but doesn't know if he deserves, which is also problematic in its own ways. But again, we're watching movies. And uh, I don't think anyone is disrespected. Uh, I, I welcome you, Bernadette, too. I would love to talk to you about the first five minutes of The Way of the Gun. Um, if you can watch that at some point. It's free on Amazon Prime. It's free. It's right there. 
Just the first, the first five minutes? <laughs> the first five minutes. As soon as it breaks to the credits, you can turn the thing off. If you want to watch the next 10 minutes, there's also really crazy shit in there too. But specifically the first five minutes of The Way of the Gun, and I don't want to ruin what it is, but uh, there's shit to talk about with those first five minutes. Um, um, that's kind of linked to what we're talking about right now. Um, interesting. Okay. With disrespecting uh, certain types Mm. of human beings Mm. on screen in cinema. Yeah, it is always um, a little disconcerting when you have a character who's... Well, we haven't really talked about Baby's parents at all, but Baby grew up in a very abusive household where his dad was really abusive to his mother, Mm -hmm. and a fight that they are having is what kills them in a vehicle. And what leaves him with tinnitus and these like scars all over his face um so yeah the fact that baby doesn't know how to identify with women or where he stands with women is very sad and i do think that's tragic and kind of makes it easier to watch the rest of the movie knowing that he just doesn't know how to interact with people and how he kind of yeah hides behind his headphones but yeah i mean you're right like in the tropes of like heist films or things that are typically very macho and very male dominated. It it is hard to get around those uh, feminine tropes. But um, I do like that when you do see baby interacting with women, he's very respectful. It's the other characters around him that aren't respectful. And so that is nice. It's the Tarantino thing where it's like, these are bad people. This is how bad people talk. Exactly. You know, um, uh, What's the, what's the, the great, the great, the great get out of jail free card. Um, like representation is not, um, uh, endorsement. Right. You know, uh, just because your movie is about this and does this does not mean that you are endorsing it. It can, depending on how you do it. And if you don't do it well, um, but I do not think that. Django Unchained is about how it's okay to say the N-word. I, I don't right. think that that's the point of that movie. Yeah, um, for this most recent Trikai 9 podcast that we did, we were talking about Drop Dead Gorgeous, yeah. and I had never seen that. And yeah, the, the R-word, retarded and retard, oh, yeah. gets thrown around a lot. But we same Same as in this movie. Yeah, and I argued that, well, everyone who's saying that isn't a good person. Like, yes. you're you know it's written to illustrate just how bad they are. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Or yeah, how that's ignorant like you're not they supposed are. to like re- exactly. That's the whole thing. It's supposed to be this is a person who is an idiot. Right. And a bad person. They're bad because they're choosing to uh call this person a bad word and they're also ignorant because they can't come up with a word that is beyond that to explain what they're doing, you know. The the, the R word is very much a it is very much like a it's just like a dumb person's word to use. Like you can easily come up with I've had this argument with friends before and stuff that we've gotten into fights where I'm like, it means that you're dumb. When you do that, it means that you are not intelligent enough to come up with another word to use other than that. Right. It means that you are an apathetic idiot. You don't care about other people's feelings whether they're there or not. And you're not intelligent enough to be able to form your own sentences and phrases to be able to get the point across that you want to call this person stupid or dumb. Now, can we take the R word back to mean like fantastic? 
Probably not. No. But, you know, yeah, hey, you know, 30 years from now, like, the, this is the lingo people are going to be doing, you know? Now, maybe the word will be sought after in dictionaries because so few people will use it that people won't even know it's around. That's the goal. Yeah. We're taking it back. <laughs> um, yeah, so to come up with that word uh, in the context of this movie, very fun usage of someone calling someone a retard. And the the question, well, what, was he slow? Very funny. Um, yeah. In a, in a movie where cars go fast, vroom, vroom. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, no, it was, uh, the, the, I think that the Edgar Wright is a good guy. I think that he knows what he's doing. Oh, yes. Um, I think that his, and I think that he's even stated this in some interviews and stuff where, you know, he is very, he is a male and uh, he primarily uh, tends to write his characters uh, as males. Correct. Um, I don't think that any of them are ever really treated with any disrespect that is kind of not inherent in the in what the performances need and what the story needs to be able to define who they are and who the, what the world is around them and who the people are around them. Where it's like, I don't think that he's doing any of it by accident. But I also do think that, you know, he is intentionally focusing more on male characters than he is on the women, which hopefully, again, he's a young guy. Hopefully he can maybe start experimenting more with that, you know, uh, and kind of pushing that. I, I, I would love nothing more than a female-led driven Edgar Wright film. I think that that would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, all he needs is his little secret weapon uh jessica stevenson like just yeah. get her back in in the saddle yep. that'd be great I, I, he's been keeping that in his back pocket the whole time i hope so um yeah so i think we're getting towards uh rounded up on this did you have any other big things that you wanted to talk about with baby driver before we uh sign off um yeah i just have three things well yeah, two things and it. a question for you um really like the character of joe um baby's foster dad yeah. i think that's a great character um, I think that's great representation on like multiple counts. Um, just like a really cool, understated, doesn't like really need to be around much to totally know who that character is. Mm -hmm. I think the character of Sam, Doc's nephew, is hilarious. That's great. Do you notice that he's wearing the same shirt that uh, Baby is wearing in the flashbacks of him opening his iPhone? No. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. It's yeah. a fun little detail. It's fun. Yeah. I don't know. It, it makes me feel like Doc is just keeping Baby around until, like, he can just use Sam instead. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's so great. I think that's intentionally, like, the idea undertoning that, where he's just like, I've got another one right in the chamber. Right. But it's not going to be ready for a while, so <laughs> I'm going to be using you for a bit. Yeah. Like, I think that's kind of like, you know, there's five things going on all at once in just about almost every decision Edgar Wright makes in his movies, and... I think that's one of them that he's just like, oh, this is funny. This is a fun bit. Oh, Kevin Spacey has a life outside of this. And oh, he's probably, you know, breeding this kid to do the same stuff that Baby's doing, but he's not going to be ready for like 10 years. So Baby's not getting out of this anytime soon. This is not the last job. Yeah. Also, really gross and skeevy now that it's like, oh, he's grooming this new driver until oh. his, his old driver... Ages out. Yeah, not great. Mm -hmm. He's blinded by the balls on that kid. Oh, yeah. 
That's a, that's a line that's not going away anytime soon. That's a real good one. I'm, I've moved past the shock and awe of it, and now I'm kind of like, that's good. <laughs> and then the last thing I was going to say, um, my favorite song in this movie, since we haven't even really gotten into that, which is something that I think we should, um, my favorite song and usage of a music choice is Hocus Pocus by Focus. 100% agree. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well then, that's that. <laughs> that's that. Yeah. Uh one of the f- one of the few songs in the movie that I was familiar with before going in. Uh, I've heard Bell Bottoms before. I've heard um uh Focus Hocus Pocus by Focus. Focus. Um <laughs> and Deborah by Beck. Yep, I've heard that one before and I've heard uh maybe uh, there's a couple in there, but like it, that was one of the ones where, like, when that when that song popped on, I was like, "Oh fuck, is this is this Hocus Pocus by Focus? <laughs> oh my god, this is great!" And it's it's one of those things where I was like, "This is going to work immediately because it's got the yodeling, it's got the accordion, it's got all the theme changes. This is going to be a fantastic scene." And I was not wrong. Mm-mm. Yeah, easily hands down for me, uh, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, that's yeah. such a fun scene. Mm-hmm. And it's also just great that Edgar Wright loves Queen so much. He's just a little Queen yes. fanboy, and mm-hmm. I love it. And I love I love the use of Brighton Rock uh, off of Sheer Heart Attack. There's so many other songs on that album that you could pull, or even just like in that Queen atmosphere. Like there's just so many that you could do, and I love that he picked one that was just a little bit more under the radar. Yeah, I love that. You know, I love that he picks like you know Harlem Shuffle, which has the same start as uh, Jump Around by mm-hmm. House of Pain because they sample that. And I, I love that he intentionally uses uh, like these original versions of songs to kind of mislead you and kind of like uh, trick you real quick into like not knowing what to expect. And I think that that's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's very smart. Yeah, so those were my last three things I just wanted to say really quickly. That was all three of them? Yeah, that was all three. Oh. I, I love Joe. I love Sam. And... I oh, love Hocus okay. Pocus. Great. Yeah. We got we got through that. <laughs> that happened very quickly. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do this. Um, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this. Uh, Baby Driver was one of my favorite movies of 2017. Uh, I think it's kind of built up there a little bit more as well. Um, in my head, I'll have to revisit it. I wrote an article on storiesgreenbeacon.com about how it is a musical getaway. It's a lot of fun. You should go... Check that out as well. You can just go on over to storyscreenbeacon.com and um, search it in the content page. Just Baby Driver. It'll pop right up. Or even just my name, Mike Birch. All that fun stuff will pop up. And uh, yeah, we want to thank you for listening. Um, If you're a subscriber because you're listening to this when it first comes out, thank you very much for supporting. If you're listening to this distantly in the future, once we have released uh, some of these limited miniseries to the public and stuff... uh, Sign up and be a subscriber so you can listen to more cool stuff like this that's happening right now. Um, and uh, generally, just thank you for supporting. Uh, in the comments, if you're still listening, uh, hit us up. Like, what are, what are some of your favorite parts of Baby Driver? Uh, what were your favorite, like, musical choices in it? Um, let's talk about Baby Driver some more because me and Byrne just talked about it for an hour, but I could talk about this movie a lot. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you are interested in hearing us talk about any other Edgar Wright projects, please let us know. This might be an unofficial last episode to the Wright stuff. Mm-hmm. We might continue with some other works. Of We've talked about Tintin. Um, we've talked about just... 
doing an episode where we talk about shorts that he's directed or music videos. Mm -hmm. We may do that too, or we might move on to another director's filmography or another actor's filmography. Um, It's undecided right now, but if we hear from you, that's helpful because then we know what you guys want to listen to, which Mm -hmm. is fun for us too. Yeah, I I like the idea of doing Tintin as maybe kind of like the next Edgar Wright one, but uh, we'll we'll see. I'm still trying to track down, you know, uh, Fistful of Fingers. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've got options. And he's also got a new movie coming out next year. That's true. So we'll cover that for sure. We got some stuff going on. So also leave us in the comments, like any other directors or writers or actors or even musicians, just like basic things for filmographies that maybe we could uh, take a crack at. You know, the more interesting and diverse, the better. Um yeah, and uh, I think like that's kind of something that we we can go forward a little bit more on these like limited uh, exclusive episodes that we're doing, and uh, we can come up with more um, I- I- insanely intelligent puns like the right stuff. Yeah, we can just come up with different names for them. We did that. We came up with we that. Did. We came up with it. That's <laughs> it. That's that's why they pay us the small bucks. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, Bernadette, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Happy to be and- here. Thank you so much for listening, uh, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>